On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Well, good morning and welcome to our Easter service. Easter Sunday is the day of celebration, the day upon which our entire faith rests. The day when we remember exactly what's just been read. When visitors went to the tomb to prepare Jesus's body for the proper burial and they found the stone rolled away, the tomb empty, and they soon heard the news. Jesus has risen. This should be a day when the whole of mankind is euphoric in our celebration. It should be a day when, when all of our, our, our fears and sadness, our depressions are washed away and instead we are all absolutely in a state of ecstasy at the news that Jesus is alive. Unfortunately, that's not the way things are. In fact, for many people, today is just another day. It's great they have a long weekend. It's great there's a couple of bank holidays. Don't have to go to work. But ultimately, there is no acknowledgement of what Jesus has done. It's different at Christmas, isn't it? At Christmas, we're very happy to invite people along to carol services. People acknowledge Jesus. People sing the carols, they they listen to the prayers, they'll go to church because it seems like the right thing to do, the traditional thing to do. Everyone loves the birth of a baby, don't they? It's all little and cute and podgy and, and it's a lovely story. A baby's not threatening. Babies are born every day. The story of a baby being born is nothing unusual. So at Christmas time, people do pause, they do celebrate and they are happy to allow the notion of the baby Jesus. But you see, at Easter time, there is a problem. And that problem is the resurrection. People don't come back from the dead. When we leave this world, whatever our beliefs are beyond the grave, we don't come back to this world. We don't suddenly get up out of the tomb, out of the grave, out of the coffin and come back to life. For so many people today, the resurrection is just too much. Maybe even the crucifixion is acceptable. We know torture goes on in the world. We know that there's been a pretty barbaric history. We know that crucifixion is a historical fact. It did used to happen. It was something practiced by the Romans. And so when we read the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion, maybe for those people who 
call themselves Christians but actually don't really have a faith as such. Maybe they can accept the crucifixion, but the resurrection? Mm -mm. That's a step too far. And so on Easter Sunday, we often find that we go to church and celebrate and then we go out into the world and most people aren't even aware that they have good news to, sh to celebrate together. But let's just think for a moment what it would be like if there had never been a resurrection. Because you see, the resurrection is, it is the moment that everything changes. It's the moment that validates the whole of Jesus' ministry. It's the moment that, that, that fulfills the most outrageous, the most ludicrous of Jesus' predictions and prophecies. Like we just heard from that reading, he had told his listeners, his disciples, that he would be crucified, that he would be in a tomb, dead, for three days, and then on the third day, he would rise again. But even his followers who had seen him walk on water and turn water into wine and, and heal people, for them, that was even that was a step too far to believe that Jesus was going to return from the dead. There is this thing called alternative history. Some of you may have heard of it. And it's this idea um, of exploring what history might have been like if some of the key moments had been different. For instance, what would England be like if um, William the Conqueror had lost the Battle of Hastings and been sent back across the Channel? What would it be like if, if Nelson hadn't won the Battle of Trafalgar? What would happen if, if Napoleon had won at Waterloo? What would happen if one of the world wars hadn't ended the way it did. There are some, some major writers, people like Winston Churchill, who, who took, um, took interest in exploring these ideas, taking moments in time and, and then writing a fictional account of what may have happened. And so this morning, I'd just like us to briefly consider what, what it would be like if there had been no resurrection. Paul addressed this when he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul has heard that there are some people in Corinth, in the church in Corinth, who were also struggling with the idea of the resurrection. They were kind of cherry-picking the bits of Jesus that they found palatable, the bits they could accept and explain, and the slightly more awkward bits, in particular the resurrection, they were just kind of leaving to one side, letting it, letting it be forgotten because it was just too awkward. It just doesn't happen. Paul says to the Corinthians, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. In other words, if we, if we cherry-pick, if we just stick to the nice bits of the gospel and leave the awkward ones out, then our faith is on very shaky foundations. Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. 
So this is a creed. This is one of the earliest creeds that, that Paul has heard. Now, his, this letter to the Corinthians was written in around AD 53 or 54. Paul first visited Corinth in 50, AD 50 to 51. Now, Jesus died at the age of 33. And so it's commonly held that, that the book of Corinthians was written, the first letter to the Corinthians was written within 20 years of Jesus's death. So this is a very, very early creed, but already people were beginning to question and doubt. Paul needs to give them evidence. So this is what he says. After that, so after Jesus had appeared to Peter and to the 12 disciples, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So, Paul said to the Corinthians, look, don't write off the resurrection. Don't try and erase it from history. Don't try and, and rub it out. For a start, here's the evidence. Jesus appeared to his disciples. Jesus appeared to Peter. Now, of course, critics could say, ah, but Paul, that's very convenient because the disciples, have, they've, they've gone to the corners of the earth. They've taken the gospel with them. They've, they've disappeared. Can't talk to them, can we? We don't know where they are. Paul says, fine, okay. Jesus appeared to 500 people after the resurrection. Some of them have since died, but many of them are still alive. Paul is giving the option to the Corinthians. He's saying, if you want to check this out, go and check this out. There are people still living, a significant number of people still living who bore witness to these events. There is evidence. Paul then goes on to say he met with James as well and he met with me, although under slightly different circumstances. So Paul gives evidence that Jesus is alive. We have that evidence today as well. The power of the early church is phenomenal. You see, if people had read this letter in Corinth and then gone to Jerusalem or to Galilee to check it out, say, look, I've heard there are people alive who, are, who bore witness to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Where are they? If they'd gone there and someone had said, I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Um, no, that didn't happen. There is no one that can corroborate it. If they'd gone around the countryside asking and asking and asking, then eventually they would have heard of someone if they, if they were there. Paul is willing to give that, take that risk. Nobody refutes that Jesus existed. Even Jewish historians recall Jesus being alive. You see, there were historians at the time, there were people, Luke is one of them, who writes the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, who knew how important it was to record the evidence of the resurrection, who, who wanted to portray an accurate picture of the events that took place at this time. And Paul is one of those people, which is why he challenges the Corinthians to go and find these 500 people, the ones who are still alive, and ask them. And if there had been a complete lack of witnesses, if Paul's claims didn't tie up, they would have been rubbish, they would have been ridiculed. The early church would have been snuffed out. 
But let's go back to the idea that the resurrection never happened and just think what the world would look like. Because the church can often get a pretty bad press. People are very scornful. In a country which is becoming ever more secular, the church is getting a worse and worse press. And of course it's fair to say that if there, if there had been no church, there are certain wars, there are certain events which have taken place in the history of man, which, which to be honest, it would be good if they'd never happened. And they've been done in the name of God. Why is that? Because we are fallen people. Becoming a Christian doesn't make you Christ. But if we take the resurrection out of history, then suddenly there is no Jesus appearing to the disciples. The disciples either get arrested, maybe put to death themselves, maybe put in prison, and eventually the ones that don't get imprisoned go back to being fishermen or tax collectors. There is no early church in Jerusalem. There is no day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were baptised on the power of the sermon that Peter gives. The Holy Spirit isn't sent out upon all people. And then, of course, we don't get the scene in, at the end of Acts 2 where the early church is taking shape, where the believers are coming together and selling their possessions to provide for one another, to look after each other. We don't have that community. And that sense of love and care and community isn't then spread out when the, when, when the early church is persecuted in Jerusalem and the disciples flee to all corners. And we see that almost mill, uh, ripples on a mill pond as they spread out away from Jerusalem and take the gospel message further and further afield. We don't see churches springing up and doing good work in all these different places around Jerusalem. We don't see hospices being set up by convents later on in history. We don't see hospitals and the idea that we have today of a modern hospital, a house of healing, a place you can go and be made well. That idea doesn't exist because that idea came originally from the hospices that were set up by cathedrals in cathedral cities. Education, again, church schools, they might not have always got it right, they might have, might have taught some dodgy things at times, but importance of education was driven early on by the church and so these are good things these are things which which change the history of mankind what about the individuals we look back and we see that history is littered with individuals that have done good things because they've been motivated by their faith we look at someone like Florence Nightingale and her her drive to improve the, the attitudes to cleanliness and hygiene in hospitals so that, so that people had better health care. That was driven by her love for people, by her, her, will, her willingness to go and to be self-sacrificial, putting herself in a dangerous position to improve the lives of others. Because that's the example that Jesus, the resurrected Christ, set for her as she believed in him. Or what about um, Elizabeth Fry? who drove prison reform, looked at people and said, I know that they're criminals, I know they've got to serve their sentence, justice has got to be done, but they're still human beings. We need to change the way we treat them. We need to change this system. And she worked tirelessly to bring, to stand with those in prison. Or there's people like the, the Cadbury family and the Roundtree family who, who, who 
campaigned to improve workers' rights and they set up things like almshouses and, and, and the first company pensions and they took their, their workers on days out and they gave, they gave um, perks to, to working for them because they believed that just because people were working class, they believed, they believed they should be treated like human beings. Why? Because Jesus taught them to do that. William Wilberforce spent his life campaigning for the abolition of slavery. This, this trade in human bodies, this, this treating people like animals, this awful, awful thing, which actually was the norm at the time. But William Wilberforce read the scriptures and said, no, no, as a Christian man, I cannot, I cannot stand for a society that accepts this. And eventually he drove the abolition of slavery. So all those people that I've just listed, They've, they've based their life on making changes to the world around them, not to improve them for themselves. It's not their self-interest they're working for. It's because they've looked at Jesus. They've looked at the evidence for Jesus, for the resurrected Christ. They've said, I believe that he was the son of God, that he is the living God. And I want to live my life in a way that reflects the teachings that he gave. I want to reflect um, his, his love for the downtrodden, for the poor, for the underprivileged. I want to make a difference to those around me. I want to leave a legacy in the world which shows that, that, that I, I believed in Jesus, a legacy that directs people to Christ because I believe in him. Now, for so many people today, they might have a, a vague idea of believing in Jesus, but, but there are bits they're uncomfortable with. The idea of being raised from the dead is, is not something we can explain. Medically, we can do some amazing things. We can, we can, people can perform brain surgery or heart surgery or replace limbs and do these incredible things. But the one thing that cannot be done is raising someone from the dead. And if we can't do something in our own power, then we struggle to accept that God can do it in his power. There is an awful lot of people who are prepared to accept that Jesus lived. There's an awful lot of people who agree that his teachings are, are quite sound. They're a good code to live life by. But there's also an awful lot of those people who just find the resurrection a step too far. You see, if we, if we look at the cross, we see grace. If we look at resurrec the resurrection, we see the truth. People love grace. They love the idea of, of someone bravely going to the cross to die for, their, for what they believed in. Dying for what you believe in is, is a noble thing to do. People approve of it. And so people are really happy to accept the grace of Jesus on the cross. To say, yeah, fair play to him. He died for what he believed in. I admire that. And then, on Easter Sunday... They're happy to turn a blind eye to this crazy story of someone coming back from the dead. But you see, for Christians, we cannot have grace just dangling on its own. We cannot leave Jesus just dangling on the cross. Because if we do that, then we deny the power, the power of the resurrection. You see, instead, we've got to take that grace and we've got to acknowledge the truth that goes with it. And when we do that, then suddenly we find that between the two of them, there is power, there is something powerful. The grace of the cross is given for you and me. We don't earn that by what we do. 
Those people I listed earlier, they don't, they didn't earn the grace of the cross. They can't, we can't. But I'll tell you what, we can take the truth of the resurrection. We can act upon it. We can look at Jesus and we can say, I want to respond to this. I want to respond to this in a way that's going to make a difference to the world around me. Something powerful, something tangible. The teachings of Jesus change the world. They form the, the basis of our legal system, our justice system. Like I've said, we have education and healthcare, social reform, all these sorts of things have been driven by the teachings of Jesus. And the reason they've been, they've been driven by the teachings of Jesus is because people have, have, have looked at the resurrection. They've looked at the Easter story. They've looked into the accounts and they've said, I believe the evidence for Jesus resurrected. You see, Paul goes on in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. If, if, we, if, we, if we start trying to erase the resurrection from history, then not only are we erasing all that good that has been done in the world, not only are we denying the power of all of those people who have worked tirelessly to, to, to enact what Jesus said we should be doing, but we're also mocking God. We're lying about God. We're false witnesses to what God's done. We then cast a shadow over everything if we try to erase the resurrection. Paul goes on. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ has not, Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then it means he's a liar. It means that, that some of the things that he said... They, they, they were incorrect. They were falsehoods. And if Jesus can speak falsehoods, then he wasn't the son of God because God cannot lie. And if Jesus wasn't the son of God, then what was he? Paul continues in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as, all, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And then later on, Paul writes in verse 54, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what today is all about that the, the perishable is clothed in the imperishable. One day we will die, our bodies will waste away. 
But do you know what? Our soul will be saved because we believe in Jesus. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And if God can resurrect Jesus, then he can do the same for us through the power of the resurrection. This is a powerful message. This is good news. This is an amazing message which should be shared throughout the world. But so many people don't want to know. So many people have, have just closed off because, because science can't explain the resurrection, because, because it doesn't happen to everybody. It's not the norm. We don't like it when something isn't the norm. But do you know what? Jesus wasn't the norm. Jesus stood out. Jesus was different. Because Jesus was the Son of God. And he's alive today. His Holy Spirit dwells in us and around us. And if you're watching this today and for the first time you're, you're hearing about the resurrection, then I urge you to, to, to explore it more. Get in touch with us. Jesus changed history. Jesus changed everything. No more so than the moment when that stone was rolled away and he walked out of that tomb, when he appeared to people, having gone through the horrific death of the crucifixion, he then walked out and he said, put your hands in the holes where the nails were, touch the wound in the side where the spear went in that gave the evidence of my death, be in no doubt that I'm alive again and I'm here for you. So whether you're hearing this message for the 50th time, the 100th time or the first time, revisit that tomb. Revisit that sense of euphoria that Jesus is alive, that there are good people doing good things throughout the world because they've looked at the evidence for the resurrection and they have found truth and grace working together. And when truth and grace truly work together, the whole world is changed. We are the church. We are the biggest employer of, of youth workers in the country. The, the, it's estimated that the, the good work that the church does in New York City alone is worth over $8 billion a year. That's how much it would cost organisations to pay people to do that work. But churches do it voluntarily. There's a similar amount in the UK and in countries throughout the world People volunteering, selflessly giving, sacrificially giving to improve the lives and the condition of, of other people because Jesus told us to do that and because Jesus is grace and truth. He's our saviour. He is our Lord. He is the whole point of Easter. And today, whatever you're going through at the moment, know that he is with you going through it too because Jesus is alive let's pray Father God I thank you for this amazing day I thank you for the gospel accounts of, of the resurrection I thank you for Paul's letter to the Corinthians and the, 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 the witnesses that he lists and Lord I thank you for your power I thank you for your grace and your truth I thank you for the way that, that you have changed lives, that you have changed the world. Lord, I thank you that you've motivated so many people throughout history to do so many good works. I thank you that you bring hope, you bring truth, you bring love, you bring mercy, you bring charity. You care so much that you sent your son, not just to die on the cross, but also to rise and defeat death, to walk out of that tomb and change the world forever. 
Father God, I thank you for this Easter Sunday. And I pray that for all of us watching this, if there's anybody watching this today who hasn't yet come to know you, Lord, I pray that this will be the start of their journey. I pray, Lord, that one day they will enter the waters of baptism. I pray that one day they'll pray the prayer of repentance and turn to you. Because, Father, you are a God of such power. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the lives you change. We thank you for the provision you give us. And we pray that you will help us play our part in your plan. So be with us and bless us, we pray, on this Easter day. In Jesus' name. Amen.